the message the Lord has given me is healing the soul. Oh Lord, our souls are in such need of healing. I ask today that you would come with power for the healing of our souls. Lord, I can't speak this word without your Holy Spirit coming and quickening my heart and making it plain. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. When I was in school, my least favorite test was the open book test. You know, when the teacher says, look, you can have your textbook, you can have your notes, you can have all of that, and you can write the exam out of those resources. Now, the problem was, number one, the exam would be timed, so you would have a limited amount of time. And if you didn't know your subject, there's no way you were going to find the information fast enough and then secondly, you had to document the page that you found the information on. You had to give references in the exam. Well, I hated those open book tests. I want to tell you today that you are now in an open book test. All of you are taking the exam. Whether you want to take the exam or not, you are in the open book test. The scriptures are here for us, and all of the answers are available. And you're in the process of taking the test that will determine where you will spend eternity. Now, you can be as unconscious as you want to be. You can go to sleep if you choose. You can blot out the test. You can say, I'm just living my life. It's all right, you're still taking the exam. And God will give you the grade. And there are only two grades. Heaven or hell. How are you doing so far on your exam? If you were to pass today into eternity, where would that eternity take you? Have you dealt yet with the sickness in your soul? Now, many Christians have said, Oh, I can live my life and have the sickness in my soul, and when I'm finished, I can go to heaven. But that answer is not found in the scriptures. That answer is found in sentimental, wishful thinking. The sin issue has to be dealt with decisively, once and for all, because that is the cancer that affects our soul. So probably first we should ask the question, what is the soul? Well, the word simply means the person. The soul is the person. It's my personality. It's who I am. It's what makes me who I am. It's the way I walk, it's the way I talk, it's the way I think, it's the way I operate. It is who I am. When you hear me speaking, do you say, oh, I think that was Brother Kevin? Or I think that was Pastor Jen? No, of course not. You know the timbre of my voice, you know the cadence of my speech. That's Ray. That's who I am. Well, it's in the midst of who I am that sin has lodged. And this cancer that has begun to grow in the heart of every man and every woman, every boy and every girl, that cancer that even in a young one gives her an attitude, yes. that sin has to be dealt with. That indifference has to be dealt with. So to understand what we're dealing with, let's look in the book and let's identify what sin is. 
Let's identify what happens when sin comes into our heart so that we can at least know where the references are. If you look at Genesis, the third chapter, verse 4, the devil or the serpent says, you will not surely die. But now you have to recognize we're dealing with something called irony. It's a literary device. Irony is a device that says that nothing is what it looks like. There's always something hidden. Irony is always an outsider looking in on the family. But they're not a part of the family. Irony says there are no absolutes. Everything is hidden and fluid and there's a game going. Irony says somebody's playing a role. It's not for real. And so the devil comes as a serpent in the garden. He's not who he seems to be. He's playing a role. And he says God is not who he says he is. And he says Eve is not who she thinks she is. She can be something other than what God says she is. She can be something more advanced. Something more free. Something like God. Then you look at Isaiah 59, and you may want to keep your fingers right there in Genesis, the third chapter, because we're coming back. But if you look at Isaiah 59, the second, the second verse, it says, But your iniquities, or your sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. So this cancer that grows in our heart separates us from God. If you look at Ezekiel 18.4, and I'm not going to turn, but Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul who sins is the one who will die. Or Ezekiel 33.18, If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, he will die for it. So in scripture, sin is a cancer. That's the Old Testament. But if you look at Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 12, it says death through sin. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. I could give you many different scriptures and all of them will tell you the same thing, that sin is death. In other words, the patient has a terminal disease. Now you can choose to avoid looking at your sickness and pretend that you don't have it. And I have known people who have been like this. They have said, I do not have cancer, even though they were full of cancer. And they have said, I am not dying, even though they were dying. I've asked people, how are you feeling about your death coming? Are you ready? And they've said to me, Pastor, I'm not dying. They're essentially saying, don't face me with the facts. Humor me here. I don't want to talk about it. Pretend everything is okay and that life is just going on and that this is a normal way to behave. And then they die. They never had to face the reality of their death. They had terminal cancer. We have terminal sin. And if that sin is not dealt with, if there is no cure found for that terminal condition, we will die in that condition, acting like, I'm okay. What's your problem? I can be 
with the world and I can go to church and hang with the church people. And don't bother me with talking about making choices and making decisions and changing the way I eat and changing the way I live and changing where I go and what I listen to and, and what I watch. Don't talk to me about that pastor. That's legalism. Okay. What happens if we don't talk about that? The cancer grows. The cancer spreads. And you become more and more disabled. And you're not able to access the throne room of God. Your prayers aren't heard anymore. And so then you get in a very serious place and you begin to cry out to God. And the heavens are closed up. And praying doesn't seem to work. So you try to go to your pastor. You try to go to somebody else and you say, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. That doesn't work, so pretty soon you go to yoga or you go to some other wild plan. Change what's happening and ignore the cancer that's growing in your soul. And then you die and it's over. Jack Graham very popular preacher in America this last week said, Jesus is the ark. And once you've been brought into the ark of God, you can fall down in the ark, but you're not going to fall out of the ark. And so you can sin all you want to sin. He said this on national radio. You can sin all you want to sin, but you're saved because you're in the ark. These lying, sentimental ideas are not out of the book. They're out of the human heart and the delusion of the human heart to try to avoid dealing with the cancer, the sin. The scriptures are very clear that if we sin, we will die. Jesus does not cover your sin until it has been repented of, turned aside from, and utterly left. We're going to go to Genesis 2 in a moment, but I'd like first to read 1 John, the third chapter. We find there in verse 4 the definition of sin. The word is harmatia in the Greek we usually in our culture have translated it as missing the mark. And so often preachers have spoken about this in terms of setting up a target. You shoot with your arrows. You miss the mark. You keep practicing. You're going to get better and better, but you're not going to always hit the bullseye. And so it is with sin. You're going to practice. You're going to try hard. You're going to get better. You're going to grow. But the fact is you're never going to be able to leave your sin. Well, that's a total misrepresentation of this Greek word harmatia. With sin, it is never unintentional. Sin is always intentional. It is deliberate. Sin is the choice I make against the living God of heaven. In other words, it is rebellion against the Most High. Sin is by definition not a mistake. Not something that you should practice and try harder with. Sin is removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Its power is broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away the cancer. So the sin is not something you can practice your way out of any more than if I went to an oncologist and said to him, you know what, doctor, I don't need your medications. What I think I need here is a workout at the gym where I can strengthen my muscles so that I can throw off this cancer. He's going to say to me, sir, 
It would help your overall body to go to the gym, but you're going to die if you don't take the medicine. Working out at the gym never cured cancer. Look at verse 4. 1 John, 3rd chapter, verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. It doesn't say sin is a mistake. It doesn't say sin is innocent. It is lawlessness. Lawlessness meaning utter rebellion. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So if you continue the pattern of sin in your life, it's because you have not yet known Jesus. Now that does not mean that you don't know about Jesus. Many people knew about Jesus when he walked on the earth. Some of them even had miracles in their bodies. They knew about Jesus. It was only a few who chose to follow Jesus. And even some who chose to follow Jesus chose to follow him for the bread. They chose to follow him for the benefits. Those who chose to follow Jesus because they believed in him. Among the apostles all ended up, with the exception of John, dying as martyrs. I wouldn't say that, that one out of twelve dying a normal death was very good odds for advertising life in Christ. So it's, it's for sure if you follow Jesus, your, your sin is going to be taken away and then your life is going to be lost. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Notice verse 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. Just as he is righteous, he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. So here's where we struggle. We would like to have a pleasant treatment for our sin when only radical surgery will do the work. Are you still under the impression that some pleasant path can deliver you from sin? Or do you recognize only radical surgery deals with the cancer? Let's learn a little bit more about this sin. Go back with me to Genesis. Genesis, the third chapter. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. All of us here today want to improve our lives. We either want more money, a new car, new clothes, new relationships, healthier bodies. There, if I were to go around the circle and say, what would you like to have? You have a wish list you already have down cold. You know what you want. I praise God some of you here would answer very clearly, all you want is more of Jesus. We do know what we want. And Eve said, I can get what I want, but I can't get it through God. Because the devil said, God is trying to keep something good from you. Now, the number one issue that this church has faced over the past months of confession and prayer and confrontation with the sin issue is that we have believed that God is trying to take something away from us. Now, how am I going to give that up? You're asking too much. You mean you want me to read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation in one month? Look what I have to give up to do that. Always I have faced this in the body of Christ, this belief that you're trying to take something away from me. The fact is, it's always the devil who tries to take away and steal. And it's always God who tries to give the gift of life. But Satan comes with a lying spirit and says the opposite. So now they have walked in sin. What have they lost? They immediately lose their covering. They immediately feel ashamed because suddenly they're naked because their covering has been taken away. The light of the Holy Spirit has been removed from them and they now recognize their nakedness. So what do they do? They go hide in the bushes behind the trees and God comes as he always comes, walking in the cool of the day, wanting fellowship with them and they're hiding from him because they're ashamed. Did God take something away from them? No, they took something away from God. They lost something. And now, the Lord says, verse 11, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. It's Jan's fault now. <clears throat> the first sign of sin is the refusal to take responsibility for my own life and begin to blame somebody else. The first fight that broke the marital bliss of heaven was the man blaming his wife. I suspect that's still common. <laughs> Honey, it's your fault. If you would just. So the Lord turns to the woman and asks the woman. Well, she's got to blame somebody, so she blames the serpent. Not my fault. Oh, yeah, we don't blame the serpent, do we? We blame the kids or the husband. It's got to be somebody else's fault that my life is so miserable. You understand the first cure for sin is to say, I'm guilty. It's me. It's coming and reporting myself in. It's saying, I'm guilty. 
It's stopping the blame game. Now what do they lose? They've lost their fellowship with one another. They've lost their wardrobe. They've lost fellowship with God. And now the ground is cursed. So they have lost their source of food supply. They're kicked out of the garden. They now have lost their home. And Eve, before she's even had a child, she loses the joy of painless childbirth. What else could they lose but their lives? They've lost their peace. They've lost their joy. They've lost their fellowship. They've lost their safe haven, their home. They've lost their provision. They're cast out into a cold world where now they have to clothe themselves and they have to struggle in the soil to make it produce and it's growing thorns and thistles. Everything is going wrong because all of that hardship is what always comes with a cancer of sin. When did sin not break your fellowship with others around you? Is it any surprise that 1 John comes through the Apostle John saying love one another? Because love is the opposite of the impact of cancer. Sin says it's your fault. I'll get even. I'll get mine. The gospel comes and says, love your brother. Have fellowship with God. Have sweet communion with each other. The sickness is gone. The brokenness is gone. The fellowship is restored. Suddenly everything is changed. Now we have Cain and Abel in chapter 4. Adam lays with his wife Eve in an act of love. She becomes pregnant. She gives birth to Cain. Later they add to their family Abel. Cain keeps the the field's going. He's the farmer. Abel's the shepherd. They come with what they have to give to God. The lamb or the fruit of my hand. And the Lord does not receive the fruit of Cain's hand. And he is Angry. Have you ever found yourself angry because God does not want to receive the fruit of your hand? Look, I've done the best I can do. What else do you expect, God? I've given you everything I have to give you. What do you want here, God? My life? Cain is angry because he can't choose what he is going to give to God. He has to do what the Lord says to him. Remember, sin is intentional rebellion against God. Now we see that it's also saying, I'll have my way. Oh, there is no person more difficult to deal with than someone who has their teeth set in having their way, and you say to them, I'm sorry, but if you go that way, this is what will happen. How do you know that's going to happen? That's not going to happen to me. I'll find a way through it. I'll prove it. I'll show you. Remember, we started all of this today by saying, you're taking an exam. An open book exam. Sin rises in our heart and says, I'm going to do it my way. And if you don't like it, hit the road, Jack. 
I'm going to feel what I'm going to feel. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. That's the very heart of sin. I will not comply with what you have said, Lord God. In fact, why don't I just drop the Lord business and call you God? And so I hear our children praying, God, do this, do that, like who was your slave last week? No concept that he is Lord. He is almighty. See, sin comes in and just distorts our beliefs. It begins to cause our hands to be crooked and our bodies misshapen. Our minds twisted. It invades every part of the body and the mind and the soul. So Cain, he's mad. The Lord says to Cain in verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So now we learn that sin is not something that is passive. Sin is aggressive. It is not satisfied with occupying one small part of your heart. Once it gets a small foothold, it wants to invade every part of your muscle and bone. It wants to take you. And the Lord is saying you must master it. Why is it so important to master? Because as I showed you a moment ago, it will cause your death. Eternal death. So Cain says to his brother, hey, let's go out in the field. I wonder, did Cain say to Abel, look, let's talk about this. How about if you bring some of my produce to God next time? Let's, let's boycott God. Let's both show up with fresh produce. And Abel saying, what? I'm not going to do that. Come on, you, you need to deal with me so we can get God in his right place. No, you won't do that. And they get in a fight and he kills them. Because Abel would not go along with the sin program. If you are unwilling to go along with Christendom's sin program, you will be stoned. <clears throat> to say in a public sphere, to say to a friend, God wants all sin removed from our hearts and our lives. He, he will not allow us to go to heaven while we continue to sin is to be considered unclean in the American Christian church. Those are not acceptable comments. They are not theologically acceptable. But it's what the book says. There has to be victory over sin. So now God deals with with Cain. The Lord said to Cain in verse 9, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. That's the very heart of what it means to be one with the Lord God of heaven, to be in fellowship one with another. I am my brother's keeper. Well, stay out of my business. That's Cain. Mind your own business. Don't talk to me about this. Don't deal with me concerning my sin. Leave me alone. I'm doing all right. I'm as good as you are. 
That's Cain's spirit. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Verse 12, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wander on the earth. So now the Lord God of heaven has done the most painful thing that can be done to a man. The way you have earned your livelihood is removed from you. How would you feel if the Lord said, okay, Kevin, tomorrow you will not be an electrician. David, tomorrow you will have no insulation company. Deborah, tomorrow you won't be answering any telephones and you no longer have any source to pay for your house. How do you feel? The punishment is worse than we can bear. What are we going to do? Hey, wait a minute, I've got to eat. I'm going to be a restless wanderer. That means I'm going to be homeless. How would you feel if I said to you, get a good night's sleep. Tomorrow you're on the street homeless. You can carry a bag full of stuff. I'll give you some garbage bags to carry as much as you can leave with. Well, where am I going to sleep? Under a tree. Where am I going to bathe? In the Potomac River. Well, where am I going to shave? You're not. You're homeless. You're a vagabond. If you really get tired, you can go to the shelter. They might let you in. If they have bed space. And never mind the bed bugs bite. How would you feel right now if that word were spoken to you? Well, Cain, he's speechless. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. I want you to understand that punishment came because of sin. Now already, what have we identified? Sin cost fellowship with God. It cost clothing. It cost home. It cost food and shelter. Sin cost Marital bliss. Sin cost brotherhood. Sin caused to be utterly isolated and despised. Sin caused to be utterly cast out and fired from your job. And we're only in the fourth chapter of the Bible. If you want to get a full rendition of what happens when sin comes, just read the book of Judges. Woo! I have to tell you, Judges is my least favorite book in all of the Bible. I can't read it without weeping. You know, like, why can't you learn? God comes and delivers you and he establishes you in your nation and he defeats the enemies. And now it's you're free to worship him and you're free to follow him and you're free to, to fellowship together with the Lord God of heaven. And he'll even send fire down from heaven and consume your sacrifices. And, and you have this awesome place. You live in this tropical land. And then they turn once more to dead idols and false gods. Rebel against the Almighty. And the oppressors come again. 
and they lose their children, they lose their homes, they lose their lives. Everything is devastated. Everything is wiped out again. And after that generation gets finally tired of being beat up, they go back to God, and God takes them back again. I guess I want to say to you today, aren't you tired of getting beat up? That's all sin will do to you is beat you up and disappoint you. And some of you are thinking, if I really follow Jesus, it will cost me the relationships that are most precious to me. Well, why are those relationships so precious to you? They're sure not taking you toward heaven. They're taking you toward hell. If a relationship is going to be lost because you choose to follow Jesus Christ, that's a relationship sent from the pit of hell. And so does your wife or does your husband, does your friend lead you away from Jesus Christ and tell you to just relax and turn off everything and be numbed out and forget that you're taking this exam for eternity, for heaven or hell? Or does your friend, your wife, your husband, do they say, come on, let's go together toward the eternal city? Any person in your life who does not encourage you to go to the eternal city is encouraging you to go to hell and to death. We need to get the sentimentality out of our mind and recognize where we stand before a holy God. I've said to some of you, isn't it time for you to finally get honest with your family about who you are and stop playing the game that you're just a normal Christian? Isn't it time to let them know that you've made the ultimate decision that you are on the way to the eternal city, you are on the way to heaven, and you urge them to come with you? Well... They might not like it. What do you think they'll say to you as they're being cast into hell? I know what they'll say. They'll say, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you try to warn us? Why did you lie to us? Why did you pretend we were okay when you knew better? Oh, I hope that strikes terror in your heart as it does in mine. So Cain is sent out. He's driven from the land. In verse 13, my punishment is more than I can bear. Verse 14, today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. It was not God's intention that Cain should be hidden from the presence of God. That was Cain's intention. Sin always causes me to want to be hidden from the presence of God because I cannot stand to be in the holy light of the Lord Jesus. Time's over. So Cain went out, verse 16, from the Lord's, Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Nod, the place of wandering, and east of Eden, the place of new beginnings. So now Cain is going to always be starting over, and never accomplishing. He's going to always be trying something new and never receiving the payoff. Any of you ever feel like this has been the story of your life? Taking two steps forward and three steps backward. That's Cain's life. If you have felt that that has been your experience, know that you have walked with Cain. That's what sin is. 
Now I want you to notice what happens. Cain lay with his wife, obviously a daughter of Adam and Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city. Here's the first record of a city being built. And it's Cain who's building the city. Why would Cain be building a city? So he would not be a wanderer. So that he would have others around him who were in his same situation. So that they could build themselves a place of safety and security. The earth will no longer produce for them. So now they have become merchants. They will buy from the farmer and they will sell to another. Because the ground will not produce for them what they needed to produce. And so instead of producing, they will sell it. Now you notice that Enoch was born to Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujal. Mahujal was the father of Methusel. And Methusel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. The first time in scripture that a man now has multiple wives. You remember the woman lost her place beside her husband. Now she is to serve her husband under the Adamic curse. She is in bondage. And now the man is not able to get satisfaction from one wife, so he will prove he's the man by having two wives. If one can't do it, two can. If two can't do it, three will. Adam gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Okay, now you have a picture. You have a city that has been built. And at the very heart of the city is a wandering spirit. And a spirit of vengeance, of revenge, of self-protection. And so now what should you do? Raise an army. <coughs> Begin to fight. And what is the entertainment of men under sin? It is always war. Always it is war. Why is it when I go to Borders Bookstore and I see all of the guys sitting with their computers that on the screen is always a war game? Why do little boys, as they're playing with one another, love to grab a toy gun and shoot one another? Or why do they want to play with swords? It's just a part of a little boy's heart. You don't have to train a little boy to do that. He just does it naturally. Who can I kill? That's Cain's heart. That's the spirit of vengeance that sin has brought into the human mind and spirit and heart. This is the, this is the cancer that eats away at us. That I will have my way. 
that I will do what I want to do. And if you get in my way, I'll kill you. So speak a word of rebuke to your child and watch this attitude rise up. Give me a chance. I'll take you out. I remember when my dad used to punish me, send me to my room and I'd be crying. I'd be so mad. I'd have murder in my heart. Good thing I wasn't 6'3 like he was or I'd have taken him out. Oh, do you recognize this? On the other hand, what God tried to give to his people was fellowship, peace, provision, clothing, family, belonging, Everything that we cherish, God was trying to give to us. And instead, we chose to walk in the way of Cain with vengeance in our hearts, armies set up to defend our turf and our territory. Oh, you think I'm kidding? In your home, tell me what happens if someone invades your home and does something you're not quite sure you like. Try what happens when somebody like your wife goes in the bathroom and put your shaving cream somewhere else. Where is my shaving cream? Where is my soap? Where is my, what did you do with my toothpaste? Oh, I've heard children so many times say, Mama, what did you do with my shoes? And Mama answers, I'm sorry, honey, I didn't wear them. It has to be somebody else's fault that I can't find my shoes. It's got to be Jan's fault that I can't find my wallet and my keys. Jan, what'd you do with my keys? Well, they're probably where you left them, Ray. That's impossible. I know I left them right here on the desk. I know you had to take my keys. That's the spirit of Cain. That's the spirit of vengeance. That's the spirit of rising up and saying, I'm going to have my way, and if you get in my way, I'm going to run over you. The spirit of God is, if you're in my way, you're my brother, you're my sister. How can I put my arms around you and lift you up? How can I encourage you? How can I call you to righteousness? It's two totally opposite ways of functioning and operating. So now the armies have been raised. The cities have been defended. Did you know that America spends more on its military than all of the rest of the world's military budgets combined. What do you suppose we're afraid of? Everybody and everything. We are Americans. Proud to be an American. Because we've got the biggest army and the toughest missiles and the biggest and baddest warships. What utter unconscionable foolishness. If you want to look at reality, when was the last time Iran attacked anybody? And then look at when was the last time America attacked somebody? There's no question who the aggressor is. Proud to be an American. Proud to be a Canite. Proud to be a servant of the darkness. Proud to kill my brother. Proud to wear a uniform that says, 
I'm going to kill. I don't think so. I don't think so. There's only one uniform I want to wear, and that's a uniform of righteousness. Put on me by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do I seem to be unpatriotic? Well, I'm sorry. I'm an alien and a stranger here, and I'm just passing through. I belong to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of the Almighty. My allegiance is sworn to him. I have left the life of Cain. I no longer desire to be defended. I no longer desire to have my place established. I am a wanderer on the earth because this has become Cain's world. And I hate Cain's world. It has stolen everything precious from my heart. Finally, the Lord God of heaven looks down. And he sees that men's hearts are utterly filled with violence. He sees that for entertainment, they want to watch action flicks. He sees that they want to sit at their computers and play video games. He sees that what they want to do is jostle for position and power. He sees that everything about man's heart is now given over to violence and and wickedness. And the Lord says... I'm going to destroy all flesh. And I'm going to start over with one family. And he sends the flood. And he kills everybody. And he starts over with Noah and his three sons and their wives. They have children, and those children have children. You're about 120 to 200 years later. The earth is shaking under Peleg, and the continental drift occurs. There are great earthquakes, and finally they rise up under Nimrod and others like him and say, we've had enough of this. Let's move to a stable place. We don't want this Jerusalem territory. Let's move over to Shinar. And let's build us a city. A city that will reach into heaven. Genesis, the 11th chapter. The whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks. You know, let's not use wood. Let's not use hay or stubble. Let's get something solid here. We want something here that's going to last. Bake them. They had tar for mortar. They said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They are still fighting with the curse that was placed on Cain that said, from now on, you're going to be a wanderer over the face of the earth. And they said, we are not going to be. Now, remember, these were not descendants of Cain. They were destroyed in the flood. You would think that after God had to step in and destroy everything, that the people who still lived on the earth would say, 
How grateful we are, Almighty God, for the wonderful provision you've made for us. Thank you for saving our lives. We're so grateful. What would you have us do? No, they turned back and worshipped in the way of Cain. They walked into idolatry, darkness, wickedness. Now they want to make a name for themselves. They want to be somebody. They don't want to have to move with the time and the direction of God. So the Lord said, let's go down and visit. And he said, let's change their language. Let's confuse their language. Because if we don't, nothing will be too hard for them. Do you see what they were trying to do? They were trying to set up their one world government. A one world government is not a new concept. They tried to set up a one world government here with a military might, making a name for themselves and establishing themselves as authority over the earth. Had God allowed them, Antichrist would have emerged then. And God said, I'm not ready for Antichrist yet. So now we have a city called Babylon. Babylon means Babel. They couldn't understand each other. So now all of the rest of the scriptures, you're going to see two great cities against one another. You're going to see Melchizedek's city of peace, Jerusalem, up against Babylon. And all of the rest of scripture will play out even into the book of Revelation between the city of God and the city of man. Do you begin to see why the soul must be healed? It is in utter rebellion against the Almighty God. It has lost everything. It has lost its place. It's lost its security. It's lost its ability to protect itself, even though it's desperately struggling to do all of that. How many tough guys have you seen drift into the grave? They've done it all. They've been everywhere. Oh, a man sat in our in our living room one time, he brought to us a bunch of fish he'd caught. He had his huge yacht. He was retired. He had many businesses. He had great cash flowing into his life. And he loved to spend his time out fishing. He asked what we did, and we told him that all we did was seek after the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, oh, I tried that, and I gave it up. I tried that and I gave it up. Now all I want to do is kick back and enjoy life. It wasn't but a couple months later. He'd had a major heart attack and was dead. He was gone. His exam was over. He didn't pass or fail. He just went to hell. This sin issue has to be dealt with at the National Prayer Chapel. We've taken some runs at it, but we've not dealt with it yet. Because fundamentally, to deal with a sin problem means to give up my life. You can't keep your life and deal with sin. The infection and the cancer of sin is through the whole body, soul, and mind. There has to be a taking up of our cross 
denying ourselves and following Jesus. Now, I want to be very specific with you. When I leave this house today, I'm going to go home. I know in my freezer there is a frozen bag of cookies. I know the store that sells the ice cream. And after I've preached the word of God, I am always most vulnerable because I say, look, I did what the Lord asked me to do. I spoke his word. Now I need something for me. So I can go home this afternoon and I can eat that bag of cookies. I can enjoy every bite. But the Lord right now has called me to fast. He hasn't called me to pig out. He hasn't called me to be a glutton. He's called me to give it up. So now I have a choice, don't I? The sin issue is always dealt with by choices. If there's no denying of myself, there is no dealing with sin. I can tell you right now, I'm not going to go home and touch those cookies. Because I know if I go home and touch those cookies, I will lose my fellowship with the Lord God of heaven. Now, I'm not saying that if you go home and eat a cookie, you're going to lose your fellowship with God. But if the Lord has called you to fast, and he's called you to do something different with your life, and you step into that, you will lose your fellowship with God. If I were to go home tonight, and we're house-sitting, a friend's house, and I would say to Jan, sweetie, let's go over tonight to David's house. Let's watch a movie. I would lose fellowship with God. Because the Lord has said to me, turn the television off. Turn the movies off. Well, what are you trying to take away from me, God? Why would you tell me to turn the television off? Why? 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 The devil's trying to take something away from me, not God. The devil's trying to get me to sit down and feast on this filth and this darkness so that he can numb my soul out so that I can't hear the living God of heaven speak to me. The devil wants me to do what I think I want to do in my cane flesh so that I can then be under his domination and under his control and be senseless before an almighty God and be numbed out and and seared with sin so that I can't hear the spirit of God moving and my heart is not sensitive to his call. The devil wants me to hide in the bushes. God wants me to come out in the open. Sin has to be dealt with. Our soul has to be healed of this cancer.